Good evening, this is Dr. Dan Guerra, and this is Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. Today is 26 November 2023. That makes it, of course, a Sunday uh, evening. So we're talking about natural killer cells, <laughs> and I hope you enjoyed the metaphysical moment we did on, uh, I think it was Thanksgiving, a couple of days ago on Thursday. Um, hopefully you see how that lecture is intertwined with all the biochemistry we talk about and the basic association there where, where there is an axis of interaction between the metaphysics I talk about and the linkage to epistemology, of course, and then all the biochemistry we do <clears throat> is that what we're discussing is phenomena. That is, events which can be sensed by the human mind. And, of course, that's the case with everything that's in nature. So biochemical phenomena are just another natural event. And what we do is try to understand how the cell functions as a living system via biochemical mechanisms, which then create the platform for physiological life. And within physiological life is all of the uh, molecular genetics. That is the um, transfer of genome from a mother cell to a daughter cell. And of course, recombination. And of course, reproduction. So all of the tacit material for biological systems and chemical thermodynamics and all the molecular interactions which require a discussion of bioenergetics, thermodynamics, cell fate, endomembranous synthesis, turnover, repair, and the control over the whole level of gene expression at the level of transcription factors, adapter molecules, translocation of polypeptides and lipids in and out of the nucleus, the opening up of the DNA via sometimes epigenetic phenomena such as histone acetylation or DNA or RNA methylation, controlling at the moment via alteration of signatures related to the increase or decrease of specific transcription patterns that end up becoming translatable products, polypeptides, that function as the catalyst proteins in the cell, driving a lot of metabolic pathways. At the same time, the mitochondrial DNA, uh, after replication, of course, when there's more than one mitochondria in the cell, such as activated natural killer cells, carrying out their own function for transcription and translation of polypeptides that are, for example, absolutely essential for the electron transport chain, and hence back to bioenergetics. But more than that, as you know, because mitochondria is also involved in a great deal of lipid metabolism, amino acid metabolism, as well as all the anapleurotic activity going on within the tricarboxylic acid pathway, right? 
So <clears throat> we're at a point now where we're going to be finishing off our natural killer cell discussion. Um, but I want to now broaden the field a bit, give you, again, the rehearsed understanding what natural killer cells do in the cell, I mean, do in the body, and how intracellularly natural killer cells are regulated, which is what the theme of this uh, biomedical portrait has been. Right? And, of course, all this is phenomena that we are observing, measuring, um, deliberating on, hypothesizing about, making hypothetical deductions that turn into experimental plans that are executed in the laboratory. And then data is generated. Data is then taken through a synthesis where it can be accumulated as evidence to support or to defeat aspects of the original hypothetical deduction <laughs> that was the purpose of the experiment of which the individual refereed peer-reviewed article is um, discussing. And all of that, again, is phenomena. So I talked about Clerk Maxwell and the electromagnetic spectrum a little bit on that uh, Thanksgiving lecture because I wanted you to understand how a scientist reasons through natural phenomena and then depending on the training of that scientist, will then go to other disciplines to draw out from those disciplines. In Maxwell's case, it was mathematics, particularly differential calculus, to determine what it is in nature that they were examining when they were looking at electricity and magnetism, and how that then became amplified to an understanding of electromagnetic spectrum, which then opened up the area of an understanding of wave-particle duality that could lead to experiments to determine the movement of subatomic particles, as well as <laughs> uh, taking it all the way up into astrophysics and the movement of matter in solar systems and in galaxies to generate theories such as special theory and general theories of relativity, which I explained go all the way back to pre-Socratic philosophy coming mostly from the Greeks or the Eleatics, and that the foundational reasoning involved in that aspect of philosophy was also embedded in theology. And all of that brought forward for the 1,500 years, then 2,000 years, then 2,500 years after those pre-Socratics through all the university systems, most of which were developing in Europe, maintaining the largesse of all of that intellectual uh, activity, and then moving forward with that um, as an impetus and also as a, an inspiration to come up with new hypotheses and new ideas, not only about how electricity works or magnetism works or how um, subatomic particle physics might be described, 
and therefore um, astrophysics reilluminated beyond the Newtonian level, and Galileo, all of which contributed greatly, and Descartes, all of which contributed greatly to that level of science, that philosophy was always there to help with logical proofs. And those logical proofs are what I really emphasize in lecture, right? Using the square of opposition, generating logical arguments so that we can <coughs> confirm or deny the purposeful utilization of evidence from experiments to support a given hypothesis and maybe generate it into a general rule, right? which then can move forward into a more elaborate understanding of whatever it happens to be under the microscope in any given research laboratory. Right? Okay, so that's where we're at on that. So I I, I just wanted to, wanted to embellish on that a little bit because that's what I believe anybody that wants to understand science, either a lay person or one of or one of, or one of the younger group of practicing bench level researchers, as well as all the people who are um, asked to teach physiology, biochemistry, immunology, genetics, pharmacology, anatomy, all the different sciences that are related to um, the natural world, that there is a profound requirement for the transmittance of that knowledge in a way that um, is closely adherent to logic, as well as an understanding of incorporating metaphysical and epistemological event ontologies. Okay? And that's how a person can understand science, even if they're not a scientist. And that's how scientists can better understand their disciplines. And of course, as I say to everyone, particularly people that are in my field in biochemistry, the younger people, you must take time out to read the scientific literature and not just spend time flashing through abstracts with key words. Because within, embedded within each individual paper, you'll learn a lot more than reading 20 abstracts. Because you'll see how experiments not only were performed, data generated and then discussed and evaluated, but also what was the necessary intellectual input at the level of the faculties of reason. How did imagination play a role? How did understanding play a role? How did mentation put those together? Right? And then understand you can categorize those more than common and frequent utilizations of the human repertoire of reason to come up with a better interpretation, a scientific a worldview interpretation of what's going on in nature, always being humbled by the fact that that's all it is, is an estimation or an interpretation of what our sense data generates into the reception and then perception of our faculties of reason. All right, enough of that. Let's go back to natural killer cells. So I wanted to make sure I covered that because sometimes I feel like um, 
why what I'm in the middle of giving those kinds of lectures <laughs> that people that just tune in or people that are you know bench level scientists are trying to figure out where the connection is and the connection is absolutely everywhere from metaphysics epistemology to research science so <clears throat> let's do a diversion here we're still a natural killer so let's go back to talk about when i say back to i spent a lot of time on talking about major diseases and one of the ones hepatocellular carcinoma has not been overlooked uh, by this professor now that's because hcc is a leading cause of death of course it is a major cancer and the risk factors for developing HCC, even in young people, you know, cancer is considered more often a highly morbid, mortal disease in the class of people that are aging more than younger people, right? But <clears throat> some cancers can occur much earlier in life and take out relatively young people. Pedocellular carcinoma is one of them. And the risk factors include viral infection, particularly chronic, non-recognized viral infection. Of course, the use and abuse of ethanol, or they call it alcohol-related. And this sometimes shows up as um, cirrhosis or hepatitis or pancreatitis associated with malfunctions of the liver, but that alcohol is a toxin to the system. And you know, during the holidays, which are coming up, I like to lecture on ethanol metabolism in humans. And we have usually a, about a week-long series of lectures on the toxicity of ethanol. And as you can tell from uh, what I'm describing to you, which are truth statements about uh, that particular organic compound, ethanol, <clears throat> is um, the fact that ethanol, by no circumstances whatsoever, should be considered a non-dangerous drug. It is probably the most dangerous drug there is because it's highly habit-forming and it's easily available and it's chronically used daily and there is no health benefit of using ethanol-containing uh, drinks, none. When people say that there is a health benefit about it, uh, there is no hard scientific evidence to back any of that up. And I can tell you because I, I am a tremendous consumer of the scientific literature, as you know. So alcohol-related cirrhosis can lead to Hepatocellular carcinoma. <clears throat> then there is the whole aspect of obesity, which is another um, behavioral, free will-driven, chronic, pandemic disease. Obesity is probably the most significant aspect of poor health worldwide than any other specific physiological over stimulation or overabundance obesity linked disease obesity is directly linked to steatohepatitis and steatohepatitis 
uh, also known as NASH, N-A-S-H, can lead directly. It's one of the risk factors for pedocellular carcinoma. Yes, in young people. So, what are the treatments for hepatocellular carcinoma? Well, um, hepatectomy, a liver transplant. There is also uh, radiofrequency ablation, known as RFA. <coughs> there is hepatic transarterial chemoembolization, that's known as TACE. And there's classical chemotherapy, immunotherapy, and other molecular targeted types of pharmacotherapy. We've talked a lot about these in the past. And there are overlaps between liver cancers and other cancers, as you know. Now, the problem with all of these treatments is that they don't really seem to have the kind of positive impact we would be looking for to treat this very deadly disease that can occur in young people, particularly when they have outside carcinoma goes somewhat undetected until it is too late. <clears throat> Pancreatic cancer is, an, is another emblematic associated cancer like HCC because there isn't a lot of pain involved initially and there aren't a lot of other presentations which might get the attention even of the individual, pedocellular carcinoma can get way beyond uh, the advanced stages so that any kind of effective treatment might already be uh, past the mark. Okay. So people are always looking, people, researchers and the medical community continue to look for novel ways to combat hepatocellular carcinoma. <laughs> pretty easy to detect once you're looking for it. But if you're not looking for it, <clears throat> in a healthy younger population, like say the population just entering middle age, um, then you're not, then it's not going to be something that's going to present. And as I said, it can, can get very serious very quickly. Okay. So with all of this in mind that we just talked about, this particular paper, and what, for several we're going to look at, it'll all be in the show notes is observing that natural killer cells, yes, may be very significant in killing hepatocellular carcinomas. Okay. And so that's why we're talking about because we're on the natural killer cell um, medical uh, uh, biomedical portrait, right? Of course we are. So there are immunotherapeutic approaches. And we have to talk about the HCC microenvironment, of course. TME, tumor microenvironment. And because it's in the liver, and liver has so many metabolic pathways, you can imagine how many of the intermediary metabolic pathways could be corrupted because we're talking about the liver. So remember, we were talking just a couple days ago about gluconeogenesis being a significant um, biochemical event for the liver, right? Maintaining glucose homeostasis. Of course, all the lipoprotein metabolism uh, initiates most of it in the liver, the apolipoproteins themselves, and the production of 
VLDL, IDL, LDL, the reuptake of any of those as fragments or remnants, and of course, HDL. So all of the trafficking of lipids also intimately involved in the liver. So you can see that, you know, those are just a couple of things to think about. In terms, and plus the liver uh, secretes hormones and the liver is involved in digestive process and the control over all of metabolism, even leading into the central nervous system <clears throat> in terms of repetitive mode and whatnot. So when you have prodromal pedicellular carcinoma, all of those systems can be corrupted. So which one of those might be a good target is another question you may ask. And sometimes those targets can become not just a target, but they can be, they can feed back to the liver and maybe aid in some of the immunotherapy. Okay. Because if you're trying to regulate liver metabolism, you need to keep a good handle on, for example, adipose metabolism and skeletal muscle as well as cardio muscle. So all of this plays a major role in many other diseases, right? And because obesity is linked to, uh, for example, NASH and NAFLD, non-alcoholic fatty liver, as well as ethanol cirrhotic liver, all of those also feed back into the major physiological systems, digestion, metabolism, translocation, <laughs> storage of depot fat, and then the entire uh, rehearsed interaction with the central nervous system controlling, uh, for example, adipokines and all the other hormonal regulation that occurs coming from central nervous system uh, subnuclei. Okay. So <clears throat> there's an interest in looking at what causes immunosuppression. Now, I know that that sounds, should sound very familiar to you. One of the key features in immunosuppression is the tumor microenvironment can generate those programmed death ligands, which can cause T lymphocytes to go off. And once that occurs, when they go offline and the T cells don't function, then a major armamentarium of the acquired immune system is no longer available to combat the uh, carcinogenic state. See? Now, what else can cause that besides the tumor microenvironment generating, uh, oh, also the whole repertoire of dysregulation of self versus non-self, right? And that's a lot we talked about with natural killer cells. Well, we're going to talk about that again very uh, elaborately in this last couple of lectures on NKs. And keep in mind that there is a major role for Treg. So regulatory T cells, you know, control the activity, the efficacy, and the potency of all the other T lymphocytes as well as playing a role in the innate immune cells. Remember the whole stories of macrophages and neutrophils and basophils and eosinophils, where Tregs can play a role somewhat indirectly, but often very directly, because Tregs are T lymphocytes, right? 
Um, and so they're bathed by the same cytokines and they're controlled by the same chemokines and growth factors and matrix metalloproteases and the whole concept of antigen presentation, et cetera, et cetera, right? Plus they're dealing with the whole repertoire of all those other T lymphocytes. CD4 positive, all those different subclasses and CD8 positive, all those different subclasses, right? So that means you can talk about what's going on in all these different cell lines. And we can talk about cell division control so there can be the checkpoint control over cell division. And then there's the immune checkpoint control. And those ligands that control apoptosis and T lymphocytes, as well as B cells and plasma cells and uh, innate immune cells like NKs, um, that those, those immune checkpoint systems have ligands and receptors, which all must be discussed in order to understand what role they may or may not play in a major cancer in this particular hepatocellular carcinoma is one where natural killer cells have been shown to play a role. So that's why we're in this, as I said. Let's go back and think about natural killer cells now. They all express a 140 kilodalton surface protein of a neural cell adhesion family. And that isoform is called CD56. But these natural killer cells, well, they all have CD56. <coughs> they all lack CD3. CD3 is the other important cell surface signature on all the other lymphocytes, but not on NKs. That's why NKs are lymphocytes, but again, they act what? They act as innate immune cells. Remember what natural killer cells are doing. <clears throat> They're cytotoxic. They're there to deliver a killing to virally infected, or that's one, one of the major targets, or to cancer-laden cells, right? So NK cells themselves are grouped into those subsets that we've been talking about. Subsets based on the expression of CD56 and CD57. So CD57 is a marker of the replicative senescence and terminal differentiation that we also see in CD8 positive cytotoxic T lymphocytes and then just standard CD8 positive TCs. So you have 50, CD56. Remember this bright and dim story. <laughs> why, we, why it's bright and dim and not high or low, although you see that nomenclature as well, because we're talking about um, using a flow cytometer. So bright or dim has to do with how much, when you do like say a fluorescent tag on these proteins, how bright is the signal, how dim is the signal. You see. So CD56 bright, CD57 minus natural killer cells, because remember you lose that cell surface marker as natural killer cells, what, mature? CD56 bright, CD57 minus NK cells express interferon gamma. And when they do that, they exert a minimal, once by the time they're making interferon gamma, which is a cytokine, they are now at the level of their minimum for cytotoxicity. So the CD56 dim 
CD57 positive NK cells <coughs> transcribe and translate low and glycosylate low levels of interferon gamma, but that's when they're most cytotoxic. Right? Remember that? Differential. So CD56 dim, C57 minus cells are the intermediate. Remember this from first lectures on NKs. Upon stimulation, the NKs are cytotoxic, and so they're outright killing target cells. <coughs> Two major mechanisms. <coughs> but both of them require a contact, because these are lymphocytes, between the NK cell and the target. One of the pathways, remember two mechanisms, one of the mechanisms involves target cell lysis mediated by that cytotoxic degranulation generating perforin and granzymes that, remember, are stored in those secretory lysosomes right, in the natural killer cell. And that during, during degranulation at the immune synapse, synapse they're delivering perforin granzymes and other proteins <laughs> into the target. The other pathway, completely unique to that first one, involves the engagement of death receptors with their ligands. Here we're talking about FAS ligand or TRAIL, and more about these later. We've already talked about them, though, but I'm going to get back to them uh, again probably in next lecture. So NK cells are poised to release cytokines and growth factors that initiate and regulate inflammatory responses mediated by both the other innate immune cells, NK cells themselves, and the adaptive immune response, including TH cells, TC cells, CD4, CDA positive, plus B cells and plasma cells. 